Welcome to another episode of Cinefleck. I'm your host, Ethan Colburn. Welcome back. Uh, we've got a depressing movie for you this week uh, to kick off the new year. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I, I love this movie, but uh, it is depressing. Inside Lewin Davis uh, is one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies, and I was lucky enough to do it with my friend Austin Lord, uh, who you can find on Letterboxd. You might know him from Letterboxd. Um, and we had a great time chatting about this movie. Uh, th- this week I'm pairing it with a Gibson, which is sort of a take on a martini. Uh, part of the thinking there was they were popular in the 60s and, uh, you know, I could kind of see that existing in like the folk scene and these kind of bars and stuff. And uh, also Lewin Davis plays a Gibson. So uh, that was kind of my thinking with that drink. I will put a recipe up for that on my Instagram. Um, I'm so glad you guys all love the Boogie Nights episode. So I I was chatting with Griffin, who came on my Playtime episode, the episode before that. And um, the Boogie Nights episode reminded him of a theory that he's had for a while called the Wahlberg performance, which... Uh, I will just I will just read you his description. He put a he put a list up on Letterboxd of Wahlberg performances. Uh, so he, he describes it as a Wahlberg is classified as a performance by a respected actor that could be the best of their career, but doesn't crack the top three performances of that particular movie. It's named after Mark Wahlberg's uh, career performance in Boogie Nights, being overshadowed by Burt Reynolds, Julianne Moore. Philip Seymour Hoffman and John C. Riley. So um, I gave him the example as well of uh, Kyle Chandler in Wolf of Wall Street, where where Margot Robbie, um, Jonah Hill, and Leonardo DiCaprio are all better. But I would say um, that's probably Kyle Chandler's best in in his movie career. Though I would say Friday Night Lights is a better performance. So if you have any other ideas for that i will leave a link to his list in the description so it's kind of a fun it's kind of a fun list to look through um but yeah if you have any ideas for that leave a link there um next week is to be announced but uh i will i will put out a uh announcement on instagram and twitter when i figure out what's happening next week without further ado let's get into this week's episode i hope you enjoy one second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I don't want to go. Don't show me in the outer space. Oh, please. please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I don't want to go. Don't show me in the outer space. I sweat when they stuff me in the pressure suits. Bubble helmet, dash board and boots. Nowhere a bit in gravity suits. Austin, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> welcome on the show dude we've been talking about yeah. this for a while it's good to it's good to, it's good to chat with you about um about a very very depressing movie yeah thanks for bringing my morning down 
Yeah, no problem. I, uh, <laughs> this is actually my comfort film, which is pretty funny. Explain why this is your comfort film. This is interesting to me. Oh, well, do you want me to, like, talk about, like, what it's about first, or do you want me to just go into that? Uh, yeah, you can go into what it's about first. Uh, well, the plot of this movie, like, doesn't make it sound, like, very interesting, because there's not really much of a plot. It's just about, like, a, a folk singer in the 60s who just can't catch a break, really. Just Life just throws him obstacles constantly, and, you know, nothing ever works out for him. That's pretty much the whole plot of the movie, honestly. <laughs> pretty much. And um, I, I, I heard the Coen brothers, or I heard Joel Coen say in an interview that um, he was concerned when he was writing the script that there wasn't much of a plot, so he just had to throw a cat in. And uh, <laughs> so the cat, yeah, <laughs> the cat was just kind of like a last minute thing to give the movie at least somewhat of a direction. But uh, so why is this your comfort movie? <laughs> Yeah, um, I think that's actually like a lot of people have the same thing with this movie. Um, but for me, I I watched this at like a really important time in my life, I would say. Yeah. Like uh, college freshman summer, I was like pretty aimless, didn't know what to do, didn't know where I was going. Sometimes I felt like I was just, you know, going nowhere, just right. on the loop sort of. And I watched this movie and after it ended, I was like, whoa, like that captured pretty much how I felt like entirely. Yeah. And I'd never had that watching a movie before that. And that was like a really awesome thing to see. And it like helped me sort of change my mindset. And I revisit the movie every once in a while. And I would definitely say that it's a comfort film for me just because like of like the personal connection I have with it. Yeah, that's interesting because it is, I mean, it might be my favorite Coen Brothers. Like sometimes it is. I mean, I, I love the Coen Brothers so much. I'm surprised this is, I think this is the first film I'm doing on the podcast about their, of their work. But um, I mean, I love, I love so many of their movies. Um, I, I, I kind of, I I feel like this movie does sort of give me a distinct feeling and I do I do sort of connect to it in that way but for me it's not a comfortable watch if that makes sense. It reminds you of your faults. In some ways it makes you not want to pursue your dreams. I mean, can you have that effect with yeah. it or not really. I Okay. I sort of, it feels comforting to know that like the Coen brothers made this film just because this film seems like it's telling like Lewin to give up on his dreams. But at the same time, I, I don't feel that it's very cynical, which Weird. I don't know if like other people get that like vibe from it, but I I don't know. It is pretty cynical, but just the fact that it sort of captures the way that I felt at the time makes it very comforting to me. I think, I, I, th I think there is something about the tone of this movie that it, um, it feels very, I, I, I don't know what the opposite of fate is, but it feels like the opposite of fate. Like everything in this movie is sort of randomly coming together and it makes, it makes me feel like, 
I'm sort of, I'm anonymous and like nothing happens for a reason, if that makes sense. I think, I think that's best exemplified in, in the whole plot line with the cat where you think, Oh, like he's found the cat. Like, wow, what a, what a great coincidence that he stumbled upon the cat. And of course it's just, it's just some other cat that <laughs> looks exactly yeah. the stream because it's New York city. I mean, I think in some ways he, he kind of is that cat. Like, it's kind of a commentary on how there's so many like talented folk singers in Greenwich village at the time. Like he's just one of many, if that makes sense. Yeah. I remember reading your review on it like a few months ago. Oh yeah. you, You said there are a lot of movies about people that are like immensely talented and there's comedy movies about people who don't have talent. And then rarely there's a movie about someone who is like, averagely but, talented like has has has, has like some talent. talent yeah yeah that's what i said yeah and totally. yeah that that's definitely like what this movie is all about because he lewin is like a really good artist he's a good performer but i think he puts too much credit in himself in the movie i would say he he has this outlook on art that's like very different than like a lot of other performers. And I think that's like uh-huh. one of his faults. Do you like Lewin? Um, yeah, I do. I would say I do. Okay. I say Lewin is like a really sympathetic character, but he's also like bad. Like he's not like that great <laughs> of a guy, but like he's just weirdly sympathetic. I, I think, I think what's weird for me is I'm, I'm, I'm noticing this like, on every rewatch, I'm liking him less and less. And I, and I don't know if it's because it's almost like I'm experiencing his bad actions multiple times. And so I'm like, Oh, he's done so many bad things in my mind. If that makes any sense. Like, I think, I think, um, I think the first watch you're kind of blown away by like, wow, like this dude can really sing. And he has like, he, he has a lot of, feelings and stuff and then as you grow to sort of accept that you realize like he's he's just such a dick to everyone around him like i i I have i have more and more trouble with that aspect of the movie i think i think i i would say i'm the exact same way uh the more i watch it the less i sympathize with him but i still do Uh uh-huh but you you do watch it multiple times and then you're like, wow, this guy just really is a dick. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Especially especially just like, um, I think the two scenes that really sound, s- stand out to me as just like him being a total asshole um, are the scene like near the end where he's heckling the like woman on stage just, mm-hmm. just for like no apparent reason. Like there's no really, there's no good reason for that. And then the other one is the one where he's at the, dinner party of his friends and just kind of like gets pissed at the woman for no reason. Mm-hmm. I think that one, that one you sort of understand that it it's coming from like anger over his lost partner. Right. But then the folks singer one where she, he's heckling the woman on stage. It's like that all of a sudden, like you're like, there's no motive for that. That's, that's yeah. specifically that's, that's, that's that obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When he heckled her, I, it just feels like that's a product of all his angst about his performance, how like he's not really going anywhere, even though he's trying really hard. Yeah. And he just happened to 
have her in the wrong wrong position and she managed to be the one to get heckled it, it didn't have to be her specifically i don't think yeah that's true that's true i mean i mean it was it it just it was sort of anonymous and just bizarre and then yeah. and, and and then the other thing was is it came after it came right after the manager revealed that he also had sex with gene mm-hmm. is it gene which one's yeah, it's Gene. Gene the dude or it's the girl? Jim, okay. Jim and Gene. Jim and Gene. Yeah, I knew there was yeah. two, two Janets. Yeah, so so after the manager reveals he also had sex with Gene, um, I think that was part of the anger. But yeah, yeah I just, I, I like him less and less, which I think yeah. is why I had, I actually had more trouble with it this watch than I did usually. Um, I, I, I know the Coen brothers have said... Uh, this is sort of a follow-up to Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? in the sense that it's like structured like an odyssey, which I found weird because I think that, to me, the, the, the closest movie that this resembles of their work is A Serious Man in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But, like, I find it so weird that... Because, like, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? is such kind of a traditional odyssey, and this seems so rambly, but they say it's, ba- they say it's somewhat based on the odyssey, which I... I, I was really having trouble seeing after I heard that. Yeah, I would say, um, the cat is definitely a nod to that because the cat's name is Ulysses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The cat's name is Ulysses. Yeah. Yeah, and I would also say that there's there was another scene where he was calling Mrs. Gorfine to return the cat, and someone answered the phone and they didn't understand him. And they were saying Lewin is the cat, which I, yeah. I thought that was like a pretty important moment too, where like, cause you said that too, how you, you say that the cat sort of represents Lewin. I, I never thought about that line as being important, but yeah. Yeah. No, I think that is sort of a nod to the audience. Really that that's weird. Yeah. You know, you're probably right about that. Yeah. I've actually, I wrote a paper on this in my film analysis, one of my film analysis classes. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I've actually, I watched this a lot and read about it a lot. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Question for you. Do you think that, um, that the cat in the end is the same cat? No. (laughs) There's no, there's no way it is. I don't know yeah. if we're even supposed to believe that it is. I don't. I don't think it is. I mean. I mean. Okay, okay, okay. I, I mean. The fact that. The fact that. I mean. The fact that the audience gets gets. Faked out once about the cat, um, mm-hmm. means that I don't think you can. I mean, there's a ton of orange cats in in the city. You just don't know what's what. And I. I mean, it's way across town. Like. Yeah, he was, I, I don't think he it's was at all possible. He's on his way back from Chicago. What would what would be the odds that he runs into the same cat? Well, and oh, oh, are you talking about the cat on the street? I was talking about the cat. I was talking about the cat that the family gets back because there's there, 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 oh, there's the cat oh, that oh, comes okay. scratching on the apartment. Right, right. Yeah, you have you, you, you have two interactions with cats near the end that you don't know for sure if they're the same cat. I guess, right. Yeah, I think for them, that is the cat, just because the name is Ulysses, and that's like a reference to the Odyssey. 
And then the other thing is he walks by a theater at one point and is playing The Incredible Journey, which is that movie about how like three pets like track across, like track across the country to like return home across mm-hmm. impossible odds and stuff. So, but I think, I think, um, I still have my doubts. I mean, you'd like to think that somehow the cat made it back, but I mean, just given like the bleakness of the world that they're in, I just, I have my doubts that, Yeah. I also just have my doubts that cat could make it across New York. Like how does it know which way to go? I have no idea. Yeah. You, there's, it could be, couldn't be. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and nothing is really ever confirmed. Um, like, uh, I, 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 I do love that scene of her going, where's it scrotum? Yeah. <laughs> He's interrogating him. She's like, where's yeah. it scrotum? Then he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, that was a really funny moment. Yeah, this movie is, like, pretty funny. Like, I, yeah. I thought it was really depressing the first couple of times, but the more I watch it, I think the funnier it gets. Well, I mean, and the funniest scene and probably the most rewatchable single scene is, is please Mr. Cody? Kennedy. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the please <laughs> Mr. Kennedy. <laughs> oh, outer space. I still, yeah. I think, and that's the, that's the line that I, that I quote around the house the most. I just go outer space when I think of something in, I, I just do that from time to time. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's, it's so, it's so fun to just have like Adam driver and like kind of, pre like like it's right before he really hit a big adam driver where i mean he just kind of pops up for like a few minutes and he he makes that scene it's such a bizarre song <laughs> he just makes it yeah. so much better it's just hilarious i i also <laughs> i think the song also is just everything that lewin hates in music yeah just very commercialized it's only there to, to make money. And just the really funny scene where he, he goes to Gene, he's like, hey, man, I'm happy for the gig, but who wrote this? And then Jim's just like, I did. <laughs> Jim also kind of represents everything he eats, too. Like, Jim is sort mm-hmm. of, um, he's happy. I mean, well, he's, you know, he's surface level sort of happily with Gene. But mm-hmm. but um, but he's... Uh, he, he, he's, he's somewhat happy and he makes just pop music and these things are pretty big hits and, mm-hmm. but he's not like pouring his heart and soul into it. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's so much like kind of bitterness in this and I mean, yeah. Oscar Isaac's performance is also just like fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what was like your essay about? Like, what did you, what did you kind of structure it about when you were? Um, yeah. So for the, for our class, we can just pick whatever film we want and then analyze it in whatever way we want. Yeah. So I wrote mine about how this film relates to depression. Yeah. And like the way that it's structured, because I mean, one thing I really want to talk about in this is just the, the structure of this film is like just incredible. How so? the, the beginning is like the same as the end is just that's just such a powerful thing you can do in film in this film totally mm-hmm. um because if, if that didn't happen i 
I doubt that I would have the same connection with this film. Han, why is that? Um, well, I would say the structure of the film is, is really smart because it's structured as a folk song because yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's how folk songs are, are made. You have like the, the first part, the middle, and then the end part just repeated again with the change of perspective. And totally, totally. Yeah, I, w- I, was, yeah. I, w- I, w- I was sort of thinking about like the folk song aspect of this movie this time through. It, it does, it's subject matter that's sort of universal but specific also kind of mm-hmm. feels like a folk song as well. Yeah. So yeah, my, my paper was just sort of like that, how this film just is sort of a loop and it feels like the way depression feels. And... That's what I thought the Coen brothers were going for, but I'm not really entirely sure. Maybe I was just reaching with that, but I did no, find I don't think you're reaching. stuff about that. I mean, um, it's pretty clear to me that Lewin is depressed. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, I mean... Yeah, that, he's... He yeah, is the, uh, the troubled artist. <laughs> totally, totally. That's exactly who he is. Um, I, th- I, I, I thought it was interesting because as I was kind of looking into this movie, I... I saw that one of the criticisms came from like some of the folk singers who were in like the Greenwich village scene at the time who were kind of saying like, like the folk scene at the time was vibrant and colorful and like competitive Mm -hmm. and like fun and rowdy. Like people would get drunk and get really into the music and the, and the club that you see in this is very kind of drab and quiet. And you've got all these people kind of quietly listening to the folk music. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the criticism, yeah, was just was just like that wasn't accurate to the scene at the time. But I sort of wondered if that was like a commentary on the depression that Lewin is feeling. Do you think like they should have portrayed it as more vibrant? Or do you think that was like, kind of important to the the feel of the movie i guess i i actually didn't know anything about the like the scene i don't really know anything about folk music so i didn't know if it was the accurate trail but yeah knowing that i i still think that it should be the way that it is because like you're saying it's it sort of depicts the depressed atmosphere and i think the vibrant atmosphere would sort of mess with that a little bit is there something specific about this movie that keeps coming that keeps you coming back? Like, is it, is it the character? Is it just kind of like the structure of the whole thing? One is definitely the music. The music is great. The music is great. Yeah. Um, I would say the structure is, it's just so unique. Like I've never really seen this structure in like a movie other than Satan Tango. I get to that <laughs> <laughs> Now that you watch the seven and a half hours of Satan Tango, yeah. God, I don't know if I can ever do that. It's on yeah. my watch list, but I don't. I I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. How did you you, you 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 started it like super early, right? Yep, five a.m. Oh my god! <laughs> I woke up at five a.m. Started at about six. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard. Hours. That's yeah. I don't. I don't know if I could do that. Well, I'll get to it someday, but I might have to break it yeah. up. Um, yeah, no, the music is awesome. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's based, it's, it's, it's a lot of old folk songs from the time. I think the only original song is Please Mr. Kennedy. Um, 
mm-hmm. which uh, I, I, I just, I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. But um, yeah, the thing I noticed this time through is the movie doesn't have a score. Like all the music that you're hearing is diegetic. Like it's all music that the characters are listening to. And it all like sounds live. I think, I think, I think the actors were performing it live for the most part, which is very impressive. Yeah, I didn't know that. I like when you bring that up, I I can't think of a single scene where it's not where it's non-diegetic. I think maybe that's part of the depression, maybe, is that he's just not hearing things from the outside world. Yeah, I haven't thought about that, but yeah, that that sort of adds to the isolating atmosphere of it. I would yeah, a lot of it feels super isolating. Um what did you think of Carrie Mulligan in it. What do you think of her? Um, she was a great character. I really liked her, like the character dynamic between her and Lewin. Yeah, they have such a weird dynamic. I love this idea that you learn that they have sex and you're kind of like, how yeah. How could that happen? <laughs> like, She hates him too. Literally, she hates him. Um, I think the whole I think the whole idea that she like refuses to accept any blame for what went down is so or like she refuses to like accept that she had any role in what like she's like oh you just had to like like get really drunk and fuck me one night and like I'm like yeah. he's like uh it takes two to tango she's like fuck you yeah <laughs> she's like totally in denial and refuses to accept any blame for it mm-hmm. um but uh yeah i mean it's it's a it's a weird dynamic that they have and then and then justin timberlake is sort of just kind of happy-go-lucky and weak you can see how she would be kind of unsatisfied with him i guess yeah her personality um yeah her character dynamic is just it's really great because like there's a lot of vitriol between them but there's also like the the underlying love between them that they actually really do care for each other. Like when she asks him, when she says like, I got you to play at the Gaslight Cafe again. Yeah. Which is just like a small little moment, but I I really liked that dynamic. Yeah, there was, like, what did you think of the scene where um, she's playing a hundred miles up on stage and she's kind of staring at him as she's singing. Like, like I thought that was kind of a, a, a moment where they're expressing some kind of care towards each other. what do you think about that? Moment? Yeah. I think that was, that was definitely intended because what I also noticed was that she was wearing red, which is oh. like, I mean, it's, I don't know. I like, no one ever wears any of those vibrant colors in this entire movie. And like, she's just wearing that and it's really contrast with everything else. So I think that was definitely implied. Yeah, the color palette in this is like, it's, it's kind of, it's basically like blues and whites. It's a really, it's a really interesting muted, uh, it's almost such a distinct color palette that like, if you saw a shot, of the movie that had no characters in it, you'd instantly recognize that it was from this movie. Yeah, I colors. think so. The color grading is is pretty unique. Yeah, 
Yeah, and 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 I think Roger Deakins was was unable to work on this, so they worked with a new um, cinematographer. But it's it's just a beautifully shot movie. I really like the colors. I I like the greens. I like the muted colors. I yeah. Like it, it should be isolating, but to me, it just feels really warm for for whatever reason. It does have some some kind of like like pinks in it. It's got like blues and kind of these light pinks that feel kind mm-hmm. of warm. I, I mean, I mean, there's something about it that makes the characters look really like glossy. Yeah, I'm just I'm still I'm still I'm still so fascinated that you find this like a comfortable place for you. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really weird. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It's just when you find like a, a piece of art that you can really connect yourself with, I, I feel like it just has that that connection with you just forever. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So when I watched this, it was so it was just so important to me at the time that I watched it that those feelings will just never go away. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, there, there, there's so many side characters in this movie. Maybe we could just do like a um, should we do a draft of like characters that get like five minutes or less? Yeah, sure. Would that um, be a, would that be a fun a fun one yeah, to we do? Yeah, we do that. Because there's so many. I mean, I mean, I mean, so many great like cameos too. I mean, yeah. I, I realize this. I'm like Ed Harris probably came on to shoot for like two hours. Like he probably well maybe like five hours. He came on for like literally like like five shots in an alleyway, and then you just get like. Oscar nominee Ed Harris in the middle of this. It's 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 incredible like the cast that they can put together. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm like I don't really know names. Who is that? Ed Harris is the guy that beat him up in the alley. Oh right. He's like that. a character act he, he he's like a character actor. I feel like if you looked up his face, I mean you actually don't see much of his face in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um it's kind of like I think he lights a cigarette or something and you can kind of see like the the light from like the lighter on his face but i don't think like you see much more of his face so he's the guy that beats up lewin in the alley for for um i guess it was his wife that was on stage it wasn't really clear on their connection but he 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 was mad that lewin was heckling the lady from like the scene before right Mm -hmm. And, and then i think that scene's also really interesting because it's one of the only times that he really um he kind of pays for his actions isn't it it might, it might it might be the only time that he really like pays for something bad that he does, right? Um another thing that I'm thinking of is when he he tries to enlist and he can't because he told his sister to throw away all of his stuff and then his pilot's license was in there. Oh, that's so true. That's, that's like another true. thing. But that's not like a that's not like a physical thing. So this is the first the only time that someone someone is uh sort of punishing him for what they did to like a person. How do you think it's significant that they ended on that scene? I mean, other than just him being at a low point? I mean, I don't know if it's significant necessarily that it's that specific scene, but yeah, I guess it's just like his low point, his probably lowest point. Yeah. I think my, my interpretation of the end, um, it's the first time he's really paying for his actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and I think that's just like, like so much of this movie is him just kind of 
being sort of shitty to his friends and his friends are like, yeah, I guess you can stay here another night. Like, yeah, I'll come, I'll come see you. Um, but that's the first time like someone's like, Hey, you really can't do this. Um, and, and, and then the other thing about that scene, which isn't really about that moment, but it's about that scene, um, is that you have the Bob Dylan, uh, song playing in the background, like Bob Dylan has come up on stage. And so I think, I think this, I, I, I always thought the significance of ending there and then the fade out to like the Bob Dylan song playing over the credits is that, um, that's, that might be like the high point of his career is like mm -hmm. having opened for Bob Dylan a random night and then leaving like that, that actually might be the high point of his career. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I never thought of it that way because I sort of saw it as Bob Dylan is hasn't caught his break yet. Yeah. And yeah. he was there at like the right place, wrong time is sort of what I saw of it. But I think your yours is a little bit better. I think that my interpretation of it is like it's I mean, oh you're you're catching Dylan in sixty three that I mean, if we're going down Dylan history, he would have just put out his second album and then, you know, he really hits it big kind of like the next year. Mm -hmm. Um to me it represents what he'll never have is just like an escape from this from this uh like cycle that he's living in. Right. And and, and folk music doesn't have that much longer in in the cultural zeitgeist either. It it kind of it kind of falls out in the late 60s. Yeah, I would say it is it is a very sad thing, but it also feels like Lewin is doing it to himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because he's so he's so resistant to change because he believes that his art is the best and his art is done in, in a way that no one else has done because his has soul and and for that reason he's very headstrong about how he does his music. Um like when he goes to Bud Grossman for the record thing where he goes all the way to Chicago to sing for him. And right. Bud Grossman says, Hey, have you, we could try harmonizing you with two other people, see how that works. And Lewin just says, no, I don't, I'm a solo act. Bud Grossman is, is based on Albert Grossman, who is a real life producer in Chicago. Um, that that line is a reference to um, Albert Grossman is the guy who put together Peter, Paul, and Mary. So that's why he says, like, if you shave your goatee, I can put you in a trio. It's because, like, he did – he probably would have put him in Peter, Paul, and Mary, and he actually would have had success. Right. I mean, in some ways, he is doing a lot of it to himself. Like, he's – you know, I mean, he's turning down – the royalties on this like possibly successful song. He's refusing to work with this producer that wants to put him in a group. Like he is doing a lot of it to himself. Mm -hmm. That, uh, that reminds me of this quote that I wrote down. Mm. It's something that it's something that Gene said to him when they were in the, when they were meeting, talking about the abortion and he saw the cat. Uh, the quote that she said to him was, you don't want to go anywhere. And that's why all the same shit is going to keep happening to you because you want it to. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that line is very important because I mean, it, it sort of just 
is Lewin. That's exactly who he is. And she understands who, like what he stands for. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And that's, and that's kind of like, that's kind of what depression is part of like a lot of people too. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's this thing that like, it's a, it's a chemical imbalance, but it, it causes, you know, it can cause like self-destructive behavior. And it's, and it's clear that like, I mean, like you feel sympathetic for him at times. Like he was trying to get a job at the shipyard and then license got thrown out. He already paid his dues. So that money's down the drain for him and like all these things. And so you feel bad for him at times, but then yeah, he's, he's just unable to find something to sort of pull him out of this hole that he's in. It's like, it's, and 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 that's why it's kind of hard for me to watch. I can't revisit it that often, even though I love it so much. Mm-hmm. I I don't know when I'll revisit it next, but I just saw it a few months ago. I'm not sure if I'll watch it anytime soon. I think I've I've had enough this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, um, like the the line that I just said, like with Gene. I think that's a really important line and that's why I think the structure of the film is is so important because you can interpret it however you want as a like a folk song where you see the end at the beginning and then when you get to it it's like okay that's how he got to that situation or you can interpret it in a way of he's like in some sort of loop where literally the things that are happening to him are continuing to happen to him unless he breaks this like behavioral cycle that he's in. Yeah. 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 I think that's a good point. I think that's a good point. Um, so what would be like your favorite side character in the movie? Um, the obvious pick is Al Cody. <laughs> I don't know if he would be. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, he counts. Um, he counts. He doesn't have that much screen time. I really liked John Goodman's character. Oh yeah, John Goodman's so great in this. Yeah, his his character was hilarious, and I also really liked his valet driver. He's just like a mysterious poetry reader who has like a <laughs> weird past that I have no idea. Every time we get to that part, I always have to turn the captions on because I don't know what he's saying. Oh really? I I always forget what that actor's name is. Um, Garrett Hudland. That's that's that that's what it was. Yeah, yeah he's. He's cool. Like I, 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 I see him in things from time to time. He he was like the lead in Tron, I think. But um, that was his big break, and then that movie kind of flopped at the time. But yeah, he he, he, he he's such a mystery man. I love the idea that he just kind of he just kind of gets dragged off by the cops, and you're just kind of like, well, he's out of the story now. Yeah, it's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird turn that of was- events. That was also really weird because, I mean, I don't know what they would do in that situation if they arrested him and would they just leave the rest of the people in the car? I mean, are you allowed to, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're allowed to arrest someone for being with someone that you're arresting, if that makes sense. Like, you know, for in, in, in Lewin's situation, it's like, I mean, they can say, "Hey, would you like a ride to the station?" But I, like that, that 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 cop seemed kind of that 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 cop seemed kind of like a dick, anyways. It didn't seem like he, mm-hmm. yeah, he he had much interest in 
helping anyone out. What what ends up happening? So so what ends up happening to the car? Uh, he just leaves it. I think he just gets out and hitches a ride with someone else. Right. Right. Yeah. But then I this actually, guy's car is just on the side of the road. Yeah. And John Goodman's still in it. He just passed out. <laughs> well, dead, right? Isn't he dead? Um, he could be, maybe. I thought he was dead because I thought he just kind of like had a heart attack. Like he had some major health event in that bathroom. I don't, I don't think it yeah, was. Yeah, he was. It did he not the, look good. The thing around his arm, he was doing heroin, I think. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he probably OD'd then. I I, yeah. I think he's dead. Um, yeah, I uh, I really liked that just because, um, like, once he starts getting in the car with those two people, I would say the story gets really surreal. Would you Would you agree with that? How so? This is interesting. Um. Well, I think John Goodman's character is just like very bizarre, and so is a. Uh, yeah. Ballet. I think his name's Johnny Fives. Um, yeah. It just seems the tone is just completely different than in any other point of the movie. And I think the the highway stop at the bathroom with the, the diner sort of adds to that because it just seems so out of place. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that's a good point. I, I, did, I did notice, like, the tonal shift. Um, yeah, John Goodman's character definitely seems like larger than life. Mm-hmm. Um, though I think, I think the surreal part kind of starts and ends with that car ride, because I think after you get to Chicago, Chicago's seems very much like in the same kind of flow and pace as New York city. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Chicago feels a lot more free and New York just feels very cramped. Um, just cause when he goes to Chicago, that's, that's his opportunity to break out of this, this world that he's living in and hopefully maybe become a professional folk singer for his career. Um, so what were your thoughts on his big audition? I think this, the scenario of that was pretty, pretty strange. Yeah. Like how, how he waits there to do his audition and it was also a really powerful moment when he performs for him and he's sort of like pouring out his, his soul into his music. Cause he, he like really wants to impress him. And then right at the end, he says, I don't see a lot of money in this. Yeah. Um, I kind of think that, th- I, I, yeah, I know it's, hor- it's, it's, it's kind of horrifying. Like I think the thing about that scene is, I mean, especially on like the first time watch, but I still kind of like pale that way every time I watch that scene is you kind of, you, 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 you really experience the d- disappointment with Lewin Davis mm-hmm. where he comes there and Pud Grossman is like really, he, he's really kind of still, he's not really emoting, but I swear like in the middle of the song, it really looks like he's impressed. Like it really looks like he's mm-hmm. impressed by Lewin Davis and then sort of realizes later, he's like, but I can't make this work for you on your own. But like, it's a weird scene in that like, like, has that also your impression that he was impressed by him? 
Yeah, I it it seemed like he was impressed, and that was sort of paralleled with when he sang for his dad. I would say that those, oh. were, those were really similar scenes when he yeah. performed for Bud Grossman and when he performed for his dad. Because at the end of those both of those performances, you would expect that both of them would be applauding him, saying, "Wow, that was such a great performance!" But it didn't go the way that you would have imagined it to go. Is that it, it? Is that part of why this movie is sort of optimistic for you? Because he's like, he's so insistent on continuing his dreams despite like the negative feedback that he's always getting. Yeah, I think he's. No matter what is thrown in his way, I still think he knows what he wants to do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. He's never going to become like a great artist because his mindset, but but you can tell that he really is passionate about music and he cares about his art. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that. Um, I just, yeah, I, it's it's hard for me to see is to see characters self destruct. Um, yeah, which is why I. I don't think I can watch this movie that often, but it, it, it is powerful and really real. And, and going back to my letterbox review that I mentioned that you, you mentioned earlier, just about how like this movie is about a guy that has like, he's talented, but he's not like blow you away talented. Like mm-hmm. you're constantly looking for characters in this movie to give him. We're taught repeatedly if you keep persevering, you'll find someone that, that, that sees how talented and amazing you really are. And it's just, it's so hard, but like, you don't see that at all in this movie. Mm -hmm. I don't think you get one moment where someone's like, wow, you really play well. Like, right. That was incredible. Yeah. He never gets a single bit of affirmation. And I think that's the saddest part is, is that, he cares about his music and and I would even say that he uses his music as like an outlet or like a sort of call for help sometimes and people yeah. don't even pick up on that like at all and that's that's just like very isolating. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um I don't know any other any other just like thoughts on the movie in general? Yeah. One thing that I really like want to talk about is the cat because I think the cat is is very important and I didn't pick up on this until this watch when I was taking notes. Yeah. Um so you said that um the Cohen brothers just put the cat in because there wasn't like much plot going on, right? Well, the, 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 it did it did shock me when I heard that because to mm-hmm. me like the cat seems so essential to the plot but but I guess when they were conceiving of it in the in the script writing, like, I mean, I mean, they probably said it somewhat facetiously that, Oh, well then we just threw in the cat. But I mean, yeah, yeah according to them, it was, it was sort of later that they came up with the idea of the cat. Yeah. So, yeah, I think in a movie like this, where there's not a lot of plot, you sort of look for things to latch onto. And mm-hmm. the cat is definitely one of them because one thing that I thought of is that, I think that the cat is sort of the embodiment of Lewin's grief for Mike. Oh, like, how so? Um, 
I just see him. He's just carrying the cat around all the time. It's always, it's always with him. And like, it's always in the back of his mind is that like, he needs to get rid of it. needs to go away. Yeah. And one of my favorite moments in the movie is when they were at the, the car and he, the, the valet driver got arrested. Uh, the moment when he was just like, watch looking at the cat, like, do I get the cat or do I leave it? And then he closes the door on the cat. Um, to me, it sort of felt like a triumph in a way where he was parting with, with like the things that he's been holding on to for so long. And yeah, that's interesting. And also, yeah. And also um, John Goodman's character, he constantly says like, Oh, is your, is your partner the cat? So that's like another thing that I, I sort of latched onto is that the cat is his partner. It's like, well, could it be that like both that the that the two cats represent different things? Could it be like the first cat represents him and the second cat represents his partner? Because in in in, in that way, I mean, the cats play play very different roles because the first cat is like comes from a loving home and then um, you know, ends up stuck outside of it and uh, ends up in Greenwich village and somehow escapes and then the second cat um is sort of like a decoy like like you find him wandering the streets and just assume he's the same house cat i mean like it did feel like he was sort of breeding himself of of something by letting the cat go but then it i I think it also to me it was also like it kind of showed his his selfishness like he's Mm -hmm. he's unwilling to to allow himself to like care for other people, if that makes sense. Like, was that also your interpretation? Yeah. I, it can mean a lot of things. Um, the thing for me though, is just that the fact that it was so emphasized just means that it means something to me. And I don't even know if that means anything, but, but yeah, I think it's a combination. It's uh, it's, him letting go of the past but at the same time to let go of the past you have to be selfish yeah but but i mean he, he he's also just like l- like letting go of an animal that like can't survive without him right i'm i'm i mean definitely i definitely think that like i actually do think that that cat that got hit was the same cat i i i don't think the cat in the apartment at the end was the same cat. Mm-hmm. But I do think like the same cat that he let go onto the street got hit. And that, that might've been him kind of letting go of the grief was just kind of letting the cat wander off in the distance. But it was su- such a sad moment when he just kind of lets this cat slowly right. die. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts on like that scene where he's just watching a cat, you know, slowly die <laughs> what uh scene after he hits it yeah yeah you just sort of see a cat like kind of limp into the bushes i don't really have an opinion on that because i don't understand it <laughs> like I, I don't really know what it represents but um 
I think my first time around, I was I was expecting. Um, I was expecting him to sort of run after and like, and like find a way to redeem himself and like save the cat and like nurse mm-hmm. it back to help. But he doesn't do that at all. He just lets it wander off. I I I find that like so many of that like like so many of his actions in this movie are so or like so many of his non actions in this movie are so cruel. Like the things he mm-hmm. it's, it's the things he doesn't do. It's that's not the, it's not. I mean, I mean, I mean, like there, 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 there's like a few times in this movie that the things he does is cruel, but then it's like so much of this movie is about what he's not doing. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think he is sort of pushing people away, but he's also he's also not being as good of a person as he he could be in in that sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So yeah, um, definitely that the scene with the cat, like you just said, is sort of who he is as a person. Is he refuses to help something? Yeah, he's I mean, headstrong nature. It seems like the only time he's like really trying to help someone is when he's trying to get gain an abortion, and mm-hmm. and that's mostly selfish. So he doesn't have to pay child support, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but that's the only time I think you really see him like going out of his way to help someone. I guess, yeah. Any any other any other sort of uh, final thoughts here? Yeah. So, what do you think about the the Diane sort of subplot? Are you are you talking about like the kid that he had? Yeah, because that was just sort of mentioned in passing in the movie and that was also a, like a sort of felt like a big moment in the movie too where he said oh diane didn't go through the abortion her uh the kid should be two now and then when he was driving back to new york he saw the the street sign for akron which is where she lives and it the shot lingered on that and it felt like he was considering going maybe yeah to me that was two like to me that was two things that was a like his inability to learn from his mistakes in the past like he's had it seemed like that wasn't even like the first time he'd have to he he, he'd had to pay for an abortion it might have been like that might have been like the third time like it seemed like he kind of knew this doctor (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is like bizarre so i think a it's like his inability to learn from his mistakes. And and then B, I think I thought him driving by Akron was just kind of letting go of the past. Like we were talking about with the cat or not even really letting go so much as like, like he refuses to accept it or he's, uh, he's letting go of his past problems. Do you think it's one or the other? I think there's another element to it in which he was, he was looking at the the street sign as with like jealousy in a way where it's she has a life that he can't have like in a comfortable town mm. like that's i think that's sort of how he is with Jim and Jean too is that he's saying that oh you guys want to go to the suburbs and you want to use music to get to that and that's very careerist of you and I think that stems from a sort of jealousy and I think that was, that's another element of 
him being emphasized on the the Akron road sign. That's interesting. I didn't see the jealousy in that, but he is a very like jealous person. But I mean, he's also yeah, yeah. I mean, like we were talking about, he's he's extremely um. He refuses to take the steps necessary that other people are taking to succeed. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that I was wondering was like how he was before his partner died, because that's that's one thing I I was wondering is that was he always like a person who pushed people away, or is this a a thing that stems from his refusal to to give up the fact that he's gone. I think, I think, I think my impression of, um, of that is that prior to his partner dying, their careers were sort of on the up and up and he's sort of like trying to salvage what he can of that, like moderately successful pop duo. Like I, I think it's, I think it's not really, it's not really stated, but I think it's implied that he probably had a place back then because I don't think he's been like couch surfing for like years. You know what I mean? I think at some point he had a place and it looked like this pop duo was kind of going places. So my impression is that like his sort of his negative outlook on life is it's relatively new and it's because he's trying to sort of rescue what what's left of his career, if that makes sense. Right. Any, any thoughts on that? I would agree. I, I mean, you don't know, but it seems like, especially from what other characters tell him, it seems like he was a lot happier before with, with like the duo that he had. I think I'm through my notes. Is there is, is there anything else yeah. you just want to touch on before we wrap yeah, this up? Yeah, I have up? a couple couple other things I could do. Just like a yeah, go for it. Speed rounds. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I think the scene where he was at the Gorefinds and he was singing the "Fare Thee Well," and then she sang Mike's part, like that that scene just broke my heart. Like when he when she was like started singing, he's like, "What are you doing?" And she said. It's Mike's part, and he's like, "Don't do that." Like, I know, just don't do that. Like, that just like that hurt really bad to watch. Like, I yeah. uh, I I tear up like multiple occasions in this in this movie. I don't know if like a lot of other people do, but that's one of the moments because uh, Oscar Isaac just he's like a very good actor, and he conveys like the emotion of of hurt and emptiness so well in that scene. I think that's the scene where I really, I mean, I, I, I hate him the most in that scene. I think just because like after like the Gorefinds have done so much for him and he's crashed a dinner party with some, with some fancy friends of theirs. And, and then after that he makes her cry and storms out and then tries to stay with them a week later. Like it's, it's clear that he's, he, he's in a dark place, but I, I really hate him in that part of the movie. <laughs> That's that's the part that I find him the most sympathetic. It's like the funniest thing is we have completely different opinions on that that part. Yeah, no, I mean, I I think though that the fact that the dude committed suicide, um, I think that does imply that there were some hard times before, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like things were easy, but it seems like it seemed like at least there was some optimism, whereas now there's there's not this. 
this hope of a brighter future that he has? Uh, I have my next note. <laughs> Just a really great moment in the movie was when when Lewin goes to Al Cody's and then he has like all of his albums, like his his albums in the box, and then he tries to put them under the table and he sees that Al Cody has the exact same thing. Right, right, right. I thought that was like a pretty cool moment. It's like, oh, maybe Al Cody has a similar story. <laughs> I, I, I think the implication there is just like, literally there's like so many people that are trying to make it in mm-hmm. in the city in the folk scene like it's so 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 competitive right. um like to me that like i just get more hopeless when you just see how many dreams get crushed i mean like i i i, I read recently that like that like om- that, that 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 less than one percent of people in the screen actors guild can actually make a living off of acting which just which just goes to show you i mean like 99% of people that are in the Screen Actors Guild that just pop up here and there, like they have to make a living doing something else and, and then performing here and there on the side. Like, I mean, I mean, the same is, is true here where, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like any of these guys are really making a living off of their dreams. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're just struggling to get by. And it's, it's sad to think that there's like so many people with, yeah, with some talent out there that just can't quite catch a break. Right. This this movie, uh, it's just it just feels really personal to me, just because of the circumstances I was in when I saw this movie, and yeah. I've yeah. just seen it so many times and like read into it so much. Like you know, I wrote two thousand words on it. So yeah, yeah, for sure. It just it just has like a very special place in my heart. Do you have a quote that you want to wrap up the podcast with, Austin? <laughs> I, uh, I, can, uh, I can do the Scooby-Doo laugh pretty well. Okay. <laughs> I was not expecting that. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, that's actually pretty good. I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's been really fun chatting with you, Austin. This was the, the, it was a it was a really good time, and uh, and thanks for the pick. I love I I, yeah. I I I always love talking about this movie. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cineflag, and I will see you next week.